2: Log Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. Welcome, everybody, once again to another edition of Brown Sugar and Smiles. I'm one of your hosts, BP Deezy. If you, you want, want to call, to call up, 646 200 3462, make sure you press that one button when you call up. Let me introduce the host of the show. We got Dr. Faye in the building. Hold on, let me get her on right quick. Dr. Faye, what's happening? Hey,
0: what's up, Deezy? Hey, everybody.
2: Can't call it. Busy day, busy day. So let the people know what we got going on, Doc.
0: So tonight's show, very special to me, a very important topic. We're going to talk about an epidemic that's been going on in our nation's public school systems, especially as it applies to our our African-American youth, in particular, black males. So um, tonight's special guest um, is actually from my hometown, And he hails from Natchez, Mississippi, but, you know, I'm very proud of this young man. He is now the assistant superintendent of the Ocean Springs uh, public school system. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the show. We're going to have a great discussion on how we can improve our status in society and hopefully have better outcomes in life. So super, super excited about it.
2: Word up. So y'all want to call up, 646. Two zero zero three four six two. Once again, the number is six four six two zero zero three four six two. Make sure you press that one button when you call up, and we're about to put our guest on very shortly. Uh, so, how has your week been so far, Doctor?
0: Um, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, then, you know, saving lives, seeing patients, and promoting the show. So, I always like to multitask. And, uh, you know, make sure the world is revolving around uh, positive issues. And, you know, I'm all about bringing the conscious conversation to the living rooms of many African-Americans or minorities interesting, interested in making an impact, you know, in their lives. So super, super excited about the show. It's going to be a good show.
2: Okay. And I think we have our guest on our own right now. Uh on live with Brown Sugar and Spice, Dr. Williams.
1: Yes, sir. How are you this evening?
2: All right. Yeah, all right. We're cooking now. Hey.
1: <laughs> Dr. Faye, Deezy, how Everybody are you? Everybody can hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we're well, good. I'm good, we're good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing excellent. Excited about uh, tonight's topic.
0: Great. Okay. So, um, Dr. Williams, um, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into, you know, education?
1: Sure. Uh, as you indicated, I'm from Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, 1996 graduate of Natchez High School. Uh, I was a football player and uh, took my football career to Appling Community College for two years, and I matriculated to Clark Atlanta University. Uh, during my year at Clark Atlanta University, I had a uh, football injury that ended my football career, and uh, that took me to Southern Miss uh, in Hattiesburg where I finished my uh, bachelor's degree in elementary education. Uh, I decided to go back to my hometown of Natchez uh, after I finished my degree and uh, taught fifth grade, coach football, uh, uh, baseball, and a couple other sports that they needed uh, coaches for, Uh, After that year, I uh, knew I needed to uh, position myself to really grow professionally and academically. And so I moved to the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, where I taught third grade in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, During those years, I uh, decided to go back and get my master's degree in uh, education administration uh, from Southern. Uh, After a couple of years of teaching uh, in Gulfport, uh, I was blessed to uh, receive an assistant principal job at St. Martin High School, where I served there for three years. Uh, during my years as an assistant principal, I started working on my specialist and Ph.D. degree. Uh, after I received my Ph.D. from Southern, uh, I became principal at St. Martin North Elementary School for five years, and now uh, I am in my fourth year as assistant superintendent in Ocean Springs.
0: Okay, okay. So you, you've you been in education for a long time. And uh, 15 you 15 know, years. I- that's, that's a I mean that's a really long time. And I personally don't know um, many black males who are in the administrative position in education, or in fact, I don't know many black you know male teachers. So what inspired you to go into education? Because it seems like young males aren't um, focused on going to education. They either want to be athletes or they want to be a rapper or they want something more. You know the glitz and glam and instant gratification. So, what 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 was your driving point?
1: I grew up in a family of educators. My uh, aunts and uncles were uh, teachers and administrators, uh, and so I was I've always been surrounded by educators, uh, and always surrounded by the importance of having an education. I, I really think my inspiration came when uh, my sister was born and. Uh, you know, I would read to her often, and I remember seeing the light bulbs go off in her head when uh, she would recall a story or that I read to her. And, you know, that feeling of, of just seeing her excited about that really uh, gave me a, a new passion for uh, that I wanted to pursue. Uh, and so it, it was just, I, I would say, my calling, my ministry, uh, and being in the education profession.
0: Okay. Okay. So, um, let me ask you this. I'm just going to come out the gate with it. So, what is going on in our school systems in which black males are falling by the wayside?
1: You know, that's a very complex and complicated uh, topic, but I think we have to look a little uh, further back uh, even before they get to school. Uh, a lot of our black males, uh, a lot of our black uh, students in particular, uh, you know, when they're in the womb, I think learning starts then. Uh, when our students and our black males and our black children are born, uh, having them immersed in literacy-rich environment is very critical. Uh, going to quality preschools uh, is really critical. Uh, there was a study done. Uh, back in 1960 uh, by Betty Hart and Todd Risley. And what they and to did, they explored the home of 42 families from various socioeconomic backgrounds uh, to accept the daily exchange between parent and child. And what they came up with uh, was that there was a 30 unit word gap between uh, high socioeconomic families, Uh, than those from lower social economics uh, families. So our students started kindergarten with almost a 30 million word gap. Uh, That's catastrophic. That's (laughs) catastrophic because our our, our children are not in environments uh, that facilitate that literacy-rich atmosphere. Uh, They're not being read to. uh, They're not being spoken to in the language that Uh, expands their vocabulary. Uh, And so we start off uh, in kindergarten with such large uh, discrepancies in uh, our knowledge, our experiences, our vocabulary. And so I think that's the starting point uh, that we really have to look at in addressing uh, this topic. Once they enter into our schools, knowing that there is already a gap that exists that gap deepens uh, when we look at some of our predominantly black schools that are underperforming, that have teachers that are not certified, and that are under-resourced. And so if I come in with a 30 million word gap and I have teachers that are not effective, that are not certified, uh, we don't have the resources, that gap continues to uh, widen Uh, and Really, over time, there's very little opportunity for that gap to close if that child is not put in an environment uh, that uh, strategically, implicitly close, uh that gap. And so a lot of our males, a lot of our black students uh, will matriculate through high school, uh, oftentimes not reading uh, on grade level, uh, and so it, it becomes a frustration for them uh, when they're not able to perform to the level that they need to, and so we start acting out, drop out, uh, we, start, we go and get our GED uh, and things of that nature. So uh, there are multiple levels to why this problem exists, but I, I, do, I am hopeful that uh, through some legislation and, and policy changes that we can really start strategically addressing this issue.
0: Wow. I'm astounded because I I had never heard that data regarding a 30, you said a 30 million word gap? 30 30 million word gap. And these
1: are students, these are kids that are in homes where the parents are talking to them, they're having conversations with them, they're engaging with them. Television is not the uh, teacher. uh, Families are actually interacting with their children. Uh, A lot of our our kids come from environments where the parents don't interact with them. The television is the entertainment, uh, and their vocabulary is based off of mom, dad, grandma's vocabulary and interaction with them. And sometimes the parent's vocabulary is not robust enough to engage that child to the level to expand his or her vocabulary. Some other statistics that I want to just briefly uh, talk to you about 42% 42% of black students attend under-resourced and low-performing schools. Uh, black boys are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled from school than their white peers. Blacks in Hispanic make up 80% of the special education population, 80%. Uh, and also 20%... Uh, of the students in the U.S. are classified as mentally taught. We're talking all about our black students here. And 28% of core academic teachers at high minority schools lack appropriate certification. So not only am I starting off with the 30 million uh, word gap, but I'm entering students that don't have the proper response. I'm entering students with teachers that are not uh, certify or have the proper certification to teach those subjects, uh, and then there's a lack of leadership. You know, this is one of those areas where leadership really matters in our schools, and we need leaders to really be intentional about looking at not only closing the achievement gap, but there's really an expectation gap that exists uh, when it comes to our students.
0: Wow. So let let me ask you this. So we're starting off with, you know, major vocabulary deficits. We are attending underfunded, under resourced schools. So how a teacher, regardless regardless of their certification, is just um is supposed to be able to um, decrease that gap and effectively teach a child whose basically home environment is impossible. Like type of challenges do, you know, teachers face with uphill battle and what, you know, programs are implemented in your school system or other school systems that you are aware of to try to combat this problem? Because to me it just seems like doom, doom, doom and more doom.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of things in our school district uh, to really uh, strategically address uh, some of these issues. Uh, One of the things that we communicate to our teachers is that we cannot control what happens at home. We can only control once they are off of that bus or out of their car. Once they step foot on our campus, we have to do everything possible uh, to help that child reach his or her full potential. Uh, And so we have to take them where they are. Uh, and, And the only way we can take them where they are is to find out where they are. And so our kindergartners come in, and the state of Mississippi implemented the Literacy-Based Promotion Act, uh, which uh, for our third graders, they have to take to be promoted to fourth grade. But our kindergartners also take an assessment called the Kindergarten Readiness Assessment. Uh, They take it at the beginning of the year, and then they take it in the spring. And students have to have a score of 530 uh, to be considered kindergarten-ready. And students that are not scoring that 530 scale score uh, are identified as not kindergarten-ready. And so once we have that information, then teachers have to put plans together, uh, reading plans, to address those deficit areas. Uh, Now, that could come through intervention. That could come through uh, small group instruction. uh, That could come through uh, various uh, computer-based programs. Uh, and also our current literacy program. Uh, And so once students are exposed to high-quality, literacy-rich environments, uh, and if they're exposed to that over time, uh, students are definitely situated to be successful moving forward. Uh, And so our kids in our district, even though I work in a predominantly white school district, uh, we have about 9% African-American in our school district. Uh, but we have kids of all races that come in that are not scoring that 530 uh, and consider kindergarten ready. So it starts in kindergarten, and we basically uh, strategically work with those students uh, over the course of that year to close those gaps, and then they assess at the end of the school year uh, to find out what type of growth have they made. Uh, In addition to that, we've implemented a summer literacy program uh, and a lot of our, pro- our programs are based on our literacy focused. Uh We know that students are going to be successful if they're reading at or above their grade level. And so we implemented a summer program targeting those kids who uh, are not reading on or above their grade level. And we give them uh, very uh, direct instruction, instruction uh, with a certified teacher, uh, with no more than five students over the course of the summer, six weeks, three days a week, two and a half hours a day. Uh, and our teachers work one-on-one uh, with those students, really looking at closing those gaps. Uh, we, we're we in our third year of implementing that program, and it, uh, we, we feel like it's been quite successful. Uh, so, you know, there are various methods, uh, and it depends on the situation. You know, we also have to really... Look at culturally uh, responsive curriculum. Uh, our, you know our kids come to uh, mainstream environments, responding culturally, and a lot of times our culture is depict, depicted in such a negative way until our students, our kids, feel insecure about who they are because the way that they talk at home is not accepted in schools. A lot of our teachers don't understand our culture enough to be able to understand where our kids are coming from to be able to adjust and adapt their teaching to their learning styles. Uh, so there's a lot of work that, that definitely needs to be done, uh, but I, I'm very uh, optimistic that uh, we could do it.
0: Perfect. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned those um, facts. And this is a perfect segue into my next line of questioning. So we're on to revisit um, the fact that you mentioned earlier regarding black males, A, being more likely to be suspended than their white counterparts, you know, less likely mm-hmm. to be placed in gifted programs, even though, you know, prior achievement they indicated they are ready for that level. How much of that do you think is cultural versus, you know, genetics? Do you think race is a major factor into why these kids are being suspended, or do you actually see black children, you know, misbehaving more so than their white counterparts?
1: I don't necessarily think that it's racially charged. You know, we're not born with these behaviors. I do think the system is set up where it does not acknowledge our culture in a way to where it's accepted. And so our students come to school really trying to adapt to this mainstream environment. When you look at gifted, there's an assessment that students take to basically determine their giftedness. We have students that, black students that have the intellect to be considered gifted, but based on this assessment, they may not qualify because they didn't perform well on this one data point. So uh, I think we have to look at multiple measures to assess whether a child is considered gifted. Gifted just does not mean that they're smart. Uh, There are various various forms of giftedness. Uh, But when it comes to our kids, I think we have to look and explore various means of assessing them to determine their level of giftedness.
0: Do you think think standardized tests, should be adjusted um, based on cultural background to um, accommodate children who are not white, who may be Asian, who may be Mexican, who may have language barriers? Like do you feel like, and this is a personal question, do you think like standardized tests should be adjusted? Because we, on average, data has shown that we um, don't perform as high as white people do.
1: Sure. I don't necessarily think that we have to adjust them. I think there is a place for standardized tests, but I do think we need alternative measures to implement for students that do not do well on standardized tests. For, uh, for instance, a portfolio or a project or a research type of project. If I take my standardized test, I don't do well on that assessment. There should be an alternative means for me to show my mastery of the content outside of just a standardized test. So I do believe that there is a place for standardized tests, but I also believe that there is a place for alternative ways to
0: show mastery outside of just one assessment. And I wholeheartedly agree with you on that point. Like,
1: absolutely. And a, a lot of states have started implementing alternative ways to assess students outside of a standardized test, uh, especially for graduation purposes. Mississippi hasn't caught on to that trend yet, uh, but we've started having the conversation of looking at alternative ways to allow students to show mastery on the content without it being drilled down to one sit-down standardized test. Okay. Well,
2: let, me, let me ask you this. Why not... Why not put that in the curriculum instead of, you know, like like having something where it can be, I know in high school, you know, you have your seven periods. Why not put that in, in part of the, I, I don't even know what subject it would go to, but just make it a, a, a part of the curriculum for the students to prepare for those
1: standardized tests. Most of our curriculums are based on the standards that they're going to be assessed on. Now, the pedagogical Mm -hmm. practices that teachers employ uh, and how well they prepare the students for those tests, that's another topic. But Mm -hmm. typically, teachers are teaching the standards that students are going to have to test on at the end of the year. And so most students should, if they have an effective teacher, they should be prepared to do well on that assessment. Now, again, if if, 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 if I haven't had effective teaching over the course of my educational career, I'm entering into that class really not prepared, one, to read the level of content that's being presented to me, so there's a deficit <clears throat> there. Uh, and so it may reflect on my assessment when I'm taking it because I've been promoted or passed along for various reasons, but I'm not able or really prepared to uh
2: Read that
1: information at the level That it's presented to them Well Let
2: me ask this I know you you was talking about You you played college ball And this is more of a question alone For the athletes So I know uh, and I've spoken to athletes before And uh, we even had one on our show I know that Some of the teachers They make sure that the athletes Get a passing grade just because you know, they are athlete or they're a star at the school and you know, and let's be honest, most especially like NFL players, NBA players, even baseball, uh most of all of these star athletes are uh are black. So how how can can that even be prevented? even in, in school in high school, you know, middle school, how can you keep a a I guess a eye out for that? Because because basically what I'm alluding to is some teachers, they don't really teach the curriculums that are put for them. They don't teach it as well as they should because they just feel, again, going with the topic, the miseducation of the Negro. They we're we're a bunch of Negroes, and you know let's just let's pass them so we can have the percentage rate for at the end of the year or every four years, uh, like I've seen on some of these websites how they do their ranking. Let's just get that percentage rate up for our state for whatever purposes that works for the state. So how do we go about identifying if the curriculum for these standardized testings or for the students is actually being put forth to the students in a manner where they can learn and actually be, be passing instead of just being granted the grade? Sure.
1: And and there there, there are two sides to that coin. One, I think this is definitely where leadership plays a major role in the school. Uh, If I'm the instructional leader of that school, I need to have a pulse on what's going on instructionally uh, with my students, uh, including my athletes. Uh, There needs to be protocols and systems in place to ensure that my teachers uh, are holding our students to a very high level. Uh, or having a high expectation for all students, regardless if you're an athlete or not, and that's where we talk about achievement gap. But there's an expectation gap that exists within our culture, or how our culture is sometimes viewed. When you look at athletics, there there is a high expectation. When you look at African Americans and athletics, uh, they feel like we are more athletically inclined, sometimes more than we are academically. Exactly. I think think teachers, I think, sometimes look at African Americans and they have very low low academic expectations for those students, uh, whereas Mm -hmm. athletically they think that those students are exceptional. And so I think Mm -hmm. there's some work to be done around ensuring that teachers have high expectations for all students uh, regardless Mm -hmm. of who they are uh, and what they do. And that's
2: where mm-hmm. I think leadership really plays a major role in uh, in that initiative. Let me – can I – can I, I just want to ask one more question. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit off topic, but not really is because it has something to do with education. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've been following the uh, Colin Kaepernick situation as far as the protests sure. are concerned. Now, the issue is the, – the issue that I want to bring forth to the table is the fact – and, I, and I'm pretty sure you're aware of this And I know Dr. Fay is For the whole span of the, I, And this is just me speaking For the whole span of the time I've been saying the Pledge of Allegiance And everything of that nature I have never knew it was that third Portion of the Pledge of Allegiance I mean not the Pledge of Allegiance I'm sorry The, um, the uh, National Anthem So it, Do you feel as an educator That is a problem that our students Do not know like it, it, With that portion missing This is what I'm talking about As far as the miseducation of the Negro and Just in general With that portion missing How can we trust the educational system And now I'm going to speak from a Negro Or African American point of view How can we trust the educational system When it's certain parts left out For whatever, political reasons Or whatever the case may be In situations like this
1: and I think that's definitely another show because we probably could, could mm-hmm. go on for hours and, and, and talking about that. But I think right. again, this is where leadership plays a major role in uh, ensuring that our our kids through textbooks, through that they're seeing uh, their culture represented in positive ways in the things that they read uh, and the things that they see around the schools. Uh, and that when history is taught, that it's taught based from an accurate standpoint a true depiction of not only uh, white culture but our culture as well. Uh, I I do agree with you that we have probably done a a major disservice to a lot of our kids in really teaching the truth, and and I think a lot of that is due to a lot of us don't know to the degree that we need to know uh, our history. Uh, and what mm-hmm. it sh- what, it sh- what should be taught in schools. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I do think that there's some work to be done in really outlining what's being taught uh, to what degree it's being taught to our students. I also think that mm-hmm. this role also plays in the house, in the home, that we have a responsibility as parents uh, to teach our children Information about our culture About our history I think that has become a lost art To some degree within the black Community, within the black family Of truly talking about uh, Our race Mm-hmm.
0: Okay So Chris, let me ask you this Culture um, seems to be a big theme You know, right now in this conversation So, you know We're talking about home environment versus school environment. Like, this is a two-part question. Um, Rap has often been referenced to being a genre that eats its babies. Basically, do you think rap music is contributing to our demise and to black men or women not wanting to pursue education? Because it seems like if I got my pants down to my knees, you know, um, got tattoos, You know, I'm calling people all sorts of derogatory names. You know, for us, that's cool. But going to school just seems like, oh, they're lame. And especially for a black male who's trying to establish his dominance as an adolescent. Like, how much do you think that plays a role in the black male demise and the miseducation of the Negro?
1: I think it plays a major role, but I think the most important role starts in the house. We have, to, we have to raise our young men and our young women up in environments where we teach them respect. Uh, there's a, a term that's called code switching, uh, and, and I think code switching is something that really determines our level of success. Code switching is, in essence, the ability, uh, the ability to know how to respond to situation, situational awareness or situation appropriateness. The way we talk at home is not the way that we talk with colleagues on our job. The way that we are in an interview is not the way that we talk when we're with our friends. Our community, our culture, if students own code switching, they're going to do really well. If they don't own code switching, they're going to be one-dimensional, and they're going to use their cultural influence in every situation. And you know when you try to mix your cultural influence into mainstream situations, mainstream is going to supersede your culture. And so we have to be able to help our students see and, you know, validate their culture, but also let them know that there are different situations that require a different type of code. And that's where the term code switching comes from. So, I think when students don't have that strong family environment, because I listened to hip-hop, I listened to it growing up. I wasn't a sander. I wasn't trying to be a gangbanger because I knew the difference, and I knew that wasn't going to be accepted in my household. And so I do think the, families, the family structure really has to be strong enough to set a solid foundation for our students to be able to go out into the world Uh, And not be influenced by things that will lead to their demise. Mm. Okay.
2: Brown Sugar and Spikes. If you want to call up 646-200-3462, press that one button if you got something to say. We got Dr. Christopher Williams on. I got a caller from the 601 area code. Give me one second. Caller, you're on. Hello. 601.
1: Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yes Yes, I mean Colin, you state, your,
0: state your name And where are you calling I'm from? I'm Dr. Benny Wright
1: Calling from Natchez, Mississippi So Welcome to the show Thank you uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity At first to say uh, Thank you And great uh, success I'm extremely proud Of uh, Dr. Williams
2: If he will recall uh, when he was a senior
1: and he had some problems along with his classmates at getting a class night and eating at my house. Well, I'm hoping that I can use that as my ticket. I'm hoping I can use that as my ticket to gain his permission uh, to say to him uh, as a member of the African proverb community it takes a community
2: to raise a child please permit me to say to him in cultural terms i raised that boy
1: thank you so <laughs> <Okay>. much
2: <laughs> thank you chris and you too uh, right. yeah, doctor you deserve that for sure thank you so much not a problem
0: all right thanks for calling <laughs>
2: All oh, right, let's uh, continue. Continue on. Great to uh, educators support educators, <laughs> especially when he raised that boy. So, uh, so I got a I, I got a two part question. Um, the first question is this, uh, and I'm, I'm going to speak from a point of view where we might not be educated. Uh, no pun intended on. What we can do. So let me ask you this, Doctor Williams. Uh, the two part the first part of this question is as far as homeschooling. Now I know there's a very, pretty high success rate as far as homeschooling is concerned. Is there any type of financial aid to s- say to, to speak of for, let's just say you have an a African American family that doesn't want to put their child through the public school system or the private school system or what, what have you, is that some type of public aid that can assist them into getting homeschooling, or is that just something that's not in the works?
1: In Mississippi in particular, uh, they mm-hmm. have implemented what they call vouchers. Uh, we also have charter schools that are starting to emerge throughout the state.
0: Mm-hmm. The districts
1: that, are, that receive a letter grade of a C, D, or an F, students in those districts at those schools have the opportunity to take their dollars that are typically given to the public school, and they can move those dollars uh, to another school that is higher performing. And so mm-hmm. this is sort of uh, a new trend in our state uh, where Parents have the right to move their child out of a lower performing school into a higher performing school, and their their uh, state dollars uh, travel with that student. So, uh, again, we're in year two of of this initiative here, and, and I think we're going to see more charter schools uh, surface throughout our state. Uh, as actually today, accountability uh, data started coming out, and so. The next few weeks, schools will uh, begin receiving their ratings. uh, An A school is the highest-performing school and an F school is the lowest-performing school. And so as uh, school districts start receiving their ratings, uh, parents will start again making choices uh, and looking at options if they so choose. And so I think that's a new trend that's hitting our state. But other states have have had these systems in place for years. Mississippi is starting to get on board with with the charter school initiative and the voucher initiative.
2: Mm, Okay. As it relates to
1: homeschool in particular, uh, parents have the right to homeschool their child. Uh, Unfortunately, dollars are not given to parents who homeschool their child uh, in terms of from the public school set.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Chris, let me let me ask you this. So, you mentioned that your school district is nine percent African American, correct? Did I hear that correctly? Yes, that's correct. So, so I often hear people brag about their child being the only black kid doing X, Y, Z. And speaking from personal experience, I've been in situations in which I'm the I've been the only black kid student and been in career situations where I'm the only black face in the room. And quite frankly, it can be uncomfortable. I mean, I've gotten used to it now, but it's lonely. It's a lonely existence. It's a lonely experience. And do you you feel that, you know, having kids go to a predominantly white school is beneficial for them, or do you feel like we are better educated uh, around people who look like us? For example, HBCUs or, you know, um, predominantly black high schools or school systems. What are the pros and cons of both? I think at the
1: end of the day, it's about what do you make of that experience. Uh, I've had the chance to attend uh, HBCU at Clark Atlanta mm-hmm. University uh, in an environment which I, I felt like I thrived, I, I, I saw I the sense of, of belonging, I've also attended predominantly white schools where I did not see many of us, but I was still able to code switch and thrive in that environment. And and I think that's an attribute that we as a people, as a culture, we really have to develop a way to exist in mainstream society. Uh, That's not to say it's not going to be – Uh, uncomfortable, that's not to say that we don't need more representation in those environments, but regardless of the environment, we have to position ourselves to be successful uh, regardless of what environment we're in. Unfortunately, we don't have many environments in this country where it's going to be all us, and so we're going to have to really be able to navigate the environments that don't look like us. Sometimes it is culture shock when you have been in predominantly black settings all of your life and then you enter into mainstream society and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to interact with them. You don't, you're, you're a fish out of water, and that can hurt you professionally. And so we have to be diverse enough to be able to excel in any environment. But it, it is important at some point throughout our career, throughout our our life, that we are in environments that look like us. Most of the time, that is at church. Uh, most of the time, we attend church uh, with people that look like us. That's not all cases. But unfortunately, a lot of us don't work in environments where we see a lot of us. There are only two African-American leaders in my district, myself and the superintendent. And so we have been very strategic about trying to recruit more minorities into our district so that our kids can see more representation of themselves. But in terms of which one is better, pros and cons, I I don't know if there there are pros and cons. I just know that we have to be able to thrive in any and all environments if we're going to really truly be successful
0: in this world. And I wholeheartedly agree with you on that point as well. My next question is, like, for, for the for the black student who wants to do well, and I don't know if you remember your high school days, but, you know, there, there's the kid who who wants to do well. You know, he wants to be smart. He has aspirations of going to college. But it's just not cool to do. And then you as an educator start to see the child's, you know, performance um, decline, like, what measures are in place to protect that student from that type of peer pressure?
1: In our school district, in particular, uh, especially when it comes to our kids, relationships really matter. And so, myself, as well as my superintendent, uh, we meet with our students regularly uh, to have conversations with them about their academic and educational career. One of the things that we're employing this year that we're uh, hoping to uh, see great benefit, uh, dividends from, we see that a lot of our black students are not taking advanced-level courses. They have the intellect to do so, but when our AP and our IB scores come out and those classes, we look at the roster of those classes, we don't see many African-American students in those classes. And so what we are doing this year is that we are strategically, we're giving all eighth grade students the PSAT. And the data from that PSAT will help us be able to identify all students who have the potential and capability of uh, performing well in those higher level courses. Now, the, step, the extra step that we're going to take is once we identify who those students are, uh, with the emphasis on our minority students, we're going to meet with those students and their parents and have a conversation with them and really plant some seeds and plant a high expectation of we expect you to take these classes. Even if that means us getting your schedule uh, set up to ensure that you have AP classes on there. I think we have to get rid of that fear factor uh, that exists sometimes of failure in our culture. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to look bad. And, yeah, being a nerd in some environments is not cool, but, again, leadership matters. We as leaders, we have to set the climate and culture to where being smart is cool, to where being educated means something. That's where leadership plays a major role in keeping those kids who may have the academic potential but they're surrounded by so many people who think that it's not cool. That's a cultural issue more more than anything. And culture really matters when it comes to student success. You have to have a culture of high expectations, a culture of excellence, and students rise to the level of expectations that you have of them. And so when you see as a principal, I would see students in a hallway, and I would call them, my young, my future doctor, my future lawyer, how you doing scholar, when I acknowledge them and affirm their greatness, their excellence, those students feel great about themselves. And it lets them know that, hey, I see something in you, I see the potential in you, and they don't want to let you down. But if you don't communicate them to the level of what you expect of them, they're going to always perform below uh, their expectations. And so teachers have to speak uh, life, they have to speak positive, they have to speak high expectations in all students. And students will always rise to the level of expectations that you have. Every time. Every time. And if you, and if you speak athletic let's talk athletics for a moment. And, and and Dr. Faye, you recall, you know your coaches have so much influence. Your coaches, coaches have such a gift of being able to motivate students in ways that they don't want to disappoint. We have to have that same coaching philosophy in our schools, in our classrooms, as leaders, as principals, as superintendents with our students. Coaches talk to their athletes in ways that it motivates them to want to do better. And we have to communicate with our students in ways that make them want to do better. But, again, relationships really play a critical role in this. Students have to know that you believe in them. They have to know that you truly care. If They can see a fraud a mile away.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. I saw a, a little viral video, uh, video of a student pretty much as. Just- uh, going in on his uh, teacher, and he was just telling her like, pretty much, we can't get educated if you're not going to teach us. If you're just trying to collect a paycheck, then you know do it elsewhere. But we, like, and this is like a he looked like he looked like he was about a high school student, and he was just letting her know like, if you don't want to teach, then you should find another profession. And, I mean, he was very articulate about it. So he's definitely right about that, doctor.
1: Yeah, they can can detect the fraud around the way. They know day one whether or not you care about them or not. Mm -hmm. And and it, and it it doesn't take a lot for you as a teacher, as an educator, to form those relationships. You know, it's saying good morning to students. It's saying, hey, I hope you have a great day when you leave. It's finding out what they're interested in and following up with them. It's attending their games. It's seeing them at their recitals. When kids see you at their events, when they see you out in the community, you form an extra connection with them. And then if if I saw you at your baseball game and the next day I said, man, you did a great job out there on on hitting that home run, I'll establish a rapport with that child at that point. And so we have to be, again, intentional in establishing those relationships with all of our students. Because if you do, they're going to perform for you.
2: Well, uh, well, Dr. Williams, I appreciate the insightful interview as far as the miseducation of of the Negro, coined by our own Dr. Fa. Can you tell the people what they can follow it's... you with? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I messed up She's going to correct me, go ahead
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a book written by Carter G. Woodson in the 1930s I actually didn't coin that So I can't take credit for that But continue Oh,
2: okay, well there you go uh, A live portion of The Miseducation of the Negro By yours truly, Deezy uh, So, <laughs> uh, Dr. Williams, can you tell the people where they can follow you at? Any Twitter, Facebook, any social media or any websites that they can definitely link and see where they can get some information?
1: Uh, I'll have to be honest with you. I don't run my own Twitter account at this time. I have our uh, Ocean Springs <laughs> uh, curriculum Twitter account that I run uh, and basically okay. publish a lot of things that we do within our district uh, instructional uh, I'm working on getting my own Twitter and, and all those other media outlets. I'm on LinkedIn. I know that's a, a dated social media site. Uh, you can reach me at, on my email at cjwilliams at ossdms.org. Again, that's cjwilliams at ossdms.org. Uh, and if you reach out to me with any questions, any concerns, I, I will definitely get back in touch with you. Uh, but I'm passionate about my profession. I love what I do. I do believe it's a calling. I do believe it's a ministry. Uh, and I wake up every morning looking forward to going to work and making a difference in the, the children's lives that uh, I interact with on a day to day basis. There you have it, people. I
2: uh, appreciate you so much for calling up, uh, Dr. Williams. Thank you so much. And don't be a stranger to the show, okay?
1: Dr. Fady DZ, I appreciate you all having me tonight. Uh, It was definitely an honor for me to take part in this conversation. And if there's anything I can do uh, in the near future uh, with you all, please don't hesitate to let me know.
2: Not a problem.
1: Thank
0: you.
2: Thank you. Have a
0: great night. You too. All
2: right. That was Dr. Williams giving us some insight on what we can do to educate our culture. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Dr. Faye for Dr. Faye's final thoughts. The floor is yours, Dr. Faye.
0: I'm going to say he dropped (laughs) some knowledge. Um, I'm not in the education field, but, you know, just from observations of, you know, going through school, grade school and, you know, higher education and, you know, seeing the percentage of uh, black males in my class in second grade and it slowly just declined as I moved into higher education to the point that, you know, in my profession now, I rarely ever see um, any. And it's it's disheartening Mm -hmm. to see that. And I know the importance of education, you know, the benefits of it and how it can significantly impact your life. And I just wish we um, were more successful in that arena as we are, you know, in athletics or in entertainment. But, you know, we're making progress. We have definitely you know, have a long way to go. And when Carter G. Woodson wrote this book in 1933, some of the same principles still apply. I encourage uh, many of the listeners out there, if you've never read The Miseducation of the Negro, you should definitely read that book, very insightful, still applied, you know, almost some 80 years later. So great book, great show. Mm-hmm. Thank you to all of my listeners out there listening Of course, you can always follow me on Instagram. It's L-D-Y, Superfly with an E, not an A. You can also follow me at that same place on Twitter, which is L-D-Y, Superfly. Also, um, Brown Sugar and Splice um, now has an IG page and a Facebook page, which is Brown Sugar and Splice Blog Radio. I put up different little facts depending on what the show is about and also put up the September schedule. So on the 29th, we're going to be talking about, oops, I'm pregnant the unintended pregnancy and implications and, you know, depending on your background, how you see it. Is it a, is no, it a blessing? Or is, it like, is it like, oops, oh oh, I'm pregnant, what do I do? Oops.
1: You know, so we're
0: going to talk about that and women's health um, and what's been going on behind the scenes at the CDC with research about that. But, you know, not everybody's happy about their pregnancy. It is what it is. Some people great. Some people like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it should be a great show for, you know, people out there who've been in that situation. Yeah, there's actually research going on about that. So it should be fun. Fun mm-hmm. times.
2: Word, word up. Yeah, I know what it is for me, man. Follow me on Twitter Instagram at VPDZ. That's VPDEEZY. So uh, that's pretty much the show. You heard Dr. Faye going down the 29th. Oops, I'm pregnant. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much it, people. We will talk to you next time on. Brown sugar and spice. And we outta here. Peace.